0: But I didn't make it up this time, so you can't blame me. Churches love acronyms. Uh, Here's a couple reasons why I'm excited about this. Number one is because we are uh, doing this series with hundreds of other covenant churches throughout the country. And I feel like there's a movement brewing that I'm really excited about. Um, This series will be on evangelism, but another reason why I'm excited about it is because it's a different approach to evangelism than many of us is probably uh, used to. And the approach that we have probably heard is sometimes problematic. We've, we've discovered that in our lives. And I feel like this approach to evangelism is much more holistic and uh, well-rounded. And so I'm really excited about the BLESS series starting next week. But this week, we are capping off the sermon series called Resilient, Following Jesus for Life. Resiliency is that bounce-back kind of quality that our faith desperately needs if we're going to stand the test of time and weather the storms of life. But resiliency is not just about our faith surviving, right? Resiliency is about our, our faith thriving because we follow Jesus not just to survive, but because Jesus is the vine, the source, and the one with the words of life. So you remember that initially I planned to do messages that were primarily conceptual, talking about the ways in which we think problematically about faith. And I did that message on magical thinking, where we talked about the passage in Acts 8, where Simon the sorcerer tries to buy the power to lay hands on people and then receive the Holy Spirit that the apostles uh, demonstrated. And I said that many of us today still operate, unfortunately, with this kind of magical thinking about faith. We still try to wield faith uh, like a tool at our disposal, Uh, We treat faith like it's a means to our own ends. That's magical thinking. In contrast to this, I talked about how the scriptures portray faith as a covenantal relationship with God, a relationship of trust that we enter into um, directly with God. So, unlike a contract that you enter into and it's mediated by the law, and you enter into a contract because you don't trust another person's character, a covenant is a is a pledge that you make to one another because you do trust each other's character. So we enter into this covenant with God because we trust God's character. And God pledges to keep that covenant even when we fail God, which is important because we often do. So that was uh, the first week. But then I went away to this conference in Chicago, this annual conference of pastors in our denomination. And every time I go to this conference, I'm refreshed, I'm encouraged. I meet all these pastors that are from around the country that really uh, have, have spoken into my life and mentored me and have sat with me through painful times. And I was reminded that if there's any resiliency in my faith, it's not primarily, especially not only because I have thought about faith correctly. It's not primarily because of conceptualizing faith in the right way. It's primarily because God's people have surrounded me and equipped me with resiliency. They've been with me through hard times. They've showed me the way, and they've sat with me and checked in on me and mentored me. So did that whole message on opening our hearts and our homes and our lives and doing life-on-life true family with people. Then last week, I talked about cultivating rhythms of rest and connection because this is how we resist the way that we're being formed by the world. Whether you realize it or not, every day the world is forming you into its mold and that mold is ugly. It comes with patriarchy, it comes with white cultural dominance, it comes with the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of power. This is all part of the world's kind of a mold just shaping us. But we as believers, we march to the beat of a different drummer and we cultivate practices, rhythms of rest and connection that are alternative to the world and resist that formation. So all of this leads to the fourth final way that we are going to talk about resistance in this series, or re- resiliency in this series. And this one is probably the most counterintuitive, so be aware of that. But just know that this is also probably the most impactful way that we gain res- resiliency in our lives. This is the way that we gain resiliency in our lives and at the same time make an impact for the kingdom in the, in the world around us. We're going to talk about spirit-filled servanthood. And we're going to take a look at another passage from the book of Acts. So we're going to go back a couple chapters from the one before. And we're going to talk about this counterintuitive truth. How many of you know that in the kingdom there's a lot of counterintuitive truths? Jesus said lose your life, you'll find it. Take up your cross, you'll gain life. These these things are counterintuitive. This is another counterintuitive truth of the kingdom of God. What if The key to resiliency in our faith wasn't about looking inwardly, but what if it was about looking outwardly? What if to find our lives hidden in Christ, we must offer our lives humbly in service? That would be a counterintuitive truth. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But let's pray before we look into the scriptures. God, we do thank you for this opportunity to gather together and to hear your word, uh, to hear the scriptures read aloud, and we're thankful for the opportunity for your spirit to come among us and to convict our hearts, to challenge us, and to encourage us, to lift us up, to raise us up. Your spirit has a way of arresting us and at the same time releasing us, filling us, and then overflowing out through us. I pray that, that that movement, that flow of your spirit would happen today. I pray that we'd be filled to overflowing with a sense of wonder and awe at what you've done and, want, and, and a desire to uh, pour it out into the world. I also pray uh, that my words would be, would be pleasing, acceptable to you. I pray that uh, you would speak through me, and I pray that you would take whatever I say that is not of you and let it fall to the floor. And everything, everything that is of you, let it land, Lord. I pray that it would arrest hearts, and I pray that it would move us, motivate us to do more for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen. Okay, so we're going to look at this passage in the book of Acts from chapter 8, but before you do that, let me, let me make this point real quick. When we talk about resiliency in our faith, we can't only talk about personal resiliency. We also have to talk about communal resiliency because uh, we are both individual disciples but we are also a church of disciples so we have to talk about the resiliency of the community and there's no better community to look at when it comes to resiliency than the early church the early church was incredibly resilient as a people as a movement um, they were they were the original community of misfits on a mission amen <laughs> They were the the original misfits, and they were threatened with death, and and some actually were physically killed for their faith. There were martyrs in the early church, and there are martyrs today all around the world. So when we look at resiliency in the scriptures, I think we have to go to Acts. So um, the passage we're going to look at this morning is from Acts, did I say 8? It's Acts 6, actually. You can look at Acts 6. It'll be on the screen behind me as well but you can look it up for context sake let me let me set the context just so we don't jump in the story and you say oh he takes takes it out of context okay for context sake this is after the resurrection and ascension of jesus 120 disciples have gathered in jerusalem to wait for what jesus promised the holy spirit and the holy spirit was poured out in a powerful way on the day of pentecost how many of you knew that you guys all knew that okay good this is review all right Jewish people from all over the Roman world had come to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost and for the festivities. And God's Spirit performed a miracle that when Peter preached, everyone heard the message, the good news of Jesus as the Messiah, raised from the dead, in their own language. So thousands were added to the church and it became this multicultural community like that. Suddenly you have Jews from all over the then-known world, well, the Roman world, and they were all speaking different languages. So that's what happened. That's the context. And, of course, that produces challenges, you'd imagine, right? Suddenly you have thousands of new uh, church members, and they all speak different languages. Challenges, right? So that's the context of this passage, starting in verse 1, chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing... The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit or full of the Spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse five. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip Prochorus, we'll say Prochorus, Nicanor, I love these names. Timon. Maybe it's Timon. Maybe it's Timon and Puba, right? Timon, Timon. Uh, Parmenas. Sure, Parmesan, yep. And Nicholas from Antioch. So he's the only one that we t- he tells us where he's from. And, he's a, and he tells us he's a convert to Judaism. That's great. Okay, verse 6. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So the word of God spread number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay. So, I'll be honest with you. This is one of those passages in Acts that you read real quick, and you move, you move on. You're like, uh, this is uh, the church handling some HR problems, right? This is like hiring uh, new staff, <laughs> moving on. What's, where's the spiritual part of Acts, right? But this is a power-packed Passage in disguise. It really is. I find so much amazing stuff in here. First, first thing I want to point out is did you notice that every day they're distributing food to the widows? Every day. Now, if I had listened to some of the pastors I've had and some of the professors I've had in my life, I would have said the early church was a bunch of liberals. What are they doing passing out food when they should just be preaching the gospel? Right? That's that's the way I learned it. I learned social justice was a liberal thing, and preaching the gospel is for real Christians. I remember this vividly. I remember walking into a classroom in seminary, and a guy met me at the door. Like, as I walk in the door, and he said, T.C., you have to decide whether you're going to be an activist or a pastor. And I was like, do I? Really? I was like, "But, but, you know, sung Chan Ra teaches here. He's a professor here. sung Chan Ra is an activist and a church planter. He, passed, he planted and pastored a church for over 10 years. And yet he boldly speaks out against things like white supremacy. Why do I have to choose? He said, ah, oh, sung Chan's just an activist. So this kind of dualistic thinking has people running from the church today. Did you know that? I, you know, I, I could have easily been one of them. There was a time in my life where I said, these Christians don't care about people's real lives. These Christians don't care about people's bodies. They just, they just want their, their, their souls to go to heaven or something. Honestly, I would not be in the covenant today if it wasn't for this affirmation. We affirm a commitment to the whole mission of the church. There should be a slide. There it is. This is one of the covenant's six core affirmations. That's it. They only have six. And this is one of them. The whole mission of the church says that we will never divorce social justice from evangelism. They are equally important parts of the gospel. Lisa Sharon Harper is a fantastic covenant minister. She's, uh, she used to work for Sojourners, and she wrote a book called The Very Good Gospel, How Everything That's Gone Wrong Can Be Made Right. Um, and she writes an excellent summary of why we think like this, why the American church has divorced, oftentimes, social justice from evangelism. I'm going to read you an excerpt. It's really good. The white American church split in two from 1908 through the 1920s. Rauschenbusch followers were called modernists, known as the liberal church today. The conservative faction launched the fundamentalist movement under the leadership of people such as C.I. Schofield. In the 1940s, a subset of the fundamentalist movement became known as evangelicals, named after the 19th century movement. However, they didn't adopt the early movement's expansive call for personal and structural repentance. Instead, they maintained a strict fundamentalist focus on personal repentance from personal imperfections, which led to personal salvation. Throughout the 20th century, the liberal church largely distanced themselves from calls to personal piety and a passionate personal relationship with God, and instead many historic white churches fought against systemic injustice. Meanwhile, 20th century evangelicals took up the cause of evangelism. They spread the good news of personal salvation. And here's the the best part. A great Chasm opened up. This opened up a great chasm, splitting the gospel in two. On both sides of the divide, the gospel was thinner than before, containing only a fraction of its power and of God's purposes for the world. That's a good word. The thinner gospel that is bifurcated, that is divided, produces weaker faith, faith that has no resiliency. Resilient faith is a holistic faith. A faith that recognizes we are not souls trapped in bodies that will one day escape and fly away to some cloudy place where there's harps and wings. Instead, we are holistic beings, united beings, body, soul, everything in one. So having having this divorce actually weakens the gospel mission of the church. God's mission into which we are called, you and I, is a mission of restoring the whole world, not just evacuating souls to heaven. It's a mission of new creation, a mission of new heavens and new earth. So the first thing I notice in this passage is the early church did not bifurcate, did not separate, did not divorce social justice from evangelism. Second thing is that the, multi, the multicultural church of the first century operated like a family, providing for one another's needs. This is what we talked about when, that, that sermon a few weeks back called One New Humanity. We're, we're united in one multi-ethnic, multicultural family of God because of Jesus. And don't forget that Jesus' promise when he commissioned the disciples in the book of Acts was, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He sent them on a global mission to reach people from the whole world. And so at this point in the story, they're still in Jerusalem. They're still in Jerusalem, but they've already started to gather a multicultural group of people. People from what's called the diaspora, the dispersed people of God, the dispersed Jewish people all around the Roman Empire. So the Spirit has already begun to build this dream. But there comes an obstacle. What's the obstacle? The obstacle in the story is that there's not enough. Well, there's, there's more people that need to be served, right? There's more people that need to be served. All of a sudden, thousands are added to the church. They're speaking different languages, and the 12 apostles alone cannot serve all the people. Instead... Things get dropped. Balls get dropped. And one of those balls that got dropped was the daily distribution of food to the widows. And it happened to fall in one particular demographic, the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek speaking Jews. And so in verse 2, the apostles say, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. The apostles have a ministry. At this stage in the church's development, They've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel and to teach the people. And they aren't saying that their ministry is more important than everyone else's. That's not what they're saying. They're saying that they have a ministry and God has given everyone in the church a ministry. And it's time for people to discover the ministry God's given them and to be appointed, to be, a, uh, to be empowered, and to be given responsibilities. It's time for them to raise up new leaders. So let's recap where we are so far. Part one, the gospel mission of the church is holistic, body and soul, the whole thing. we got to care for everything. It's not just preaching words and converting minds. Economics has to be addressed. Housing has to be addressed. Racism has to be addressed. The gospel is holistic. Number two, the gospel mission of the church encounters a challenge when growth happens. When growth happens, there's a challenge. The challenge is more people to serve, more ministries that need to be raised up. So if we're going to be fruitful to this gospel mission, uh, faithful, if we're going to be faithful to this gospel mission that you and I have been given to steward, then we are going to be inviting people into relationship with Jesus And to join God in God's gospel mission of restoring all things. And if we're going to be faithful in loving people where they're at, then we're going to grow. Isn't that right? We're going to grow. More people are going to get added. And guess what's going to happen? Challenges. Challenges is what's going to happen. I had a supervisor once on a job. I had an office job for a little while. And I had a supervisor. And the supervisor called an all-staff meeting. Because we had, get, we had gotten, all of a sudden, we had gotten a bunch of new clients. And he said, I remember, I remember he said, there are two types of problems. You know what they are? Good problems and bad problems. <laughs> he said, this is a good problem. This is a good problem. When you have more people coming into the church, more people are embracing the gospel, more people's lives are being transformed, that's a good problem. It produces challenges, Yes. But those are the right kind of challenges. So what do the apostles do to address this good problem? Anybody want to wager a guess? Oh, there you go. More servant leaders. Good job, Matt. Gold star. I am a firm believer of this. You ready? Every, Every problem, sorry, I screwed up already. The solution to every problem is a person. You know why? Because God works through us. God works through us. God has chosen for whatever reason that now the body of Christ is the arms and feet and legs of Jesus, the hands of Jesus. It's us. The solution to every problem we're going to face, every good problem, is a person, is people. It's us. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones that have been transformed by God's mercy so that we can see other people's lives transformed. I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. I remember being a new Christian and I remember being so utterly floored by God's grace in my life that I, I said to God on a regular basis, I said, "I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything." And I meant it. I literally meant it. I I if God called me to Antarctica to preach to penguins, I would have gone. I would have. I would have gone to anywhere, learned the language. God called me to New Orleans. I was like, New Orleans? That's a weird calling, you know. But I went. I went to Bible college there. I was willing to do anything. I remember doing ridiculous odd jobs, construction jobs made t-shirts. I did whatever I could to to be at that Bible college because that's where I felt God had called me. And I said it earlier and I'll say it again. I think that our sense of surrender to God is directly proportional to our sense of awe of God. If you are not living in a sense of awe of God, that God has rescued you, that God has transformed your life, you're going to be reluctant to give your life away. There's going to be something inside you that says, eh, could take it or leave it. But when you're utterly floored by God's mercy, when you realize you probably wouldn't be where you are today, who you are today, doing what you're doing today, if it wasn't for God's mercy and God's grace in your life, you'll do anything. You'll go anywhere. In verse 3... The apostles turned over this responsibility to seven servant leaders, and they all have Greek names, the ones that I was screwing up really bad. They all have Greek names. That's significant. Do you know why that's significant? Because it was the Greek-speaking widows who were getting passed over. Do you see what they did there? They did a little bit of justice. I think I've read that passage 20 times and never noticed that. It's one of those things that would have been obvious to the first readers of the book of Acts. Not so obvious to us today. But what they did there was they delegated authority and responsibility to the very group that was being left out. That was being excluded. This is a powerful lesson for the church in America today. We could learn a lot from this. Because in the body of Christ, we are an alternative society to the world around us. We do things differently. We are not ruled by... White cultural dominance. We need to set an example. We need to show that those kind of ethnic and cultural prejudices do not govern the church. Can I get an amen? That's gotta be true for us. That's got to be true. In the body of Christ, if one part suffers, all suffer. And in the party in the in the body of Christ, Parts of the body that are treated less than in society are treated with honor in the body of Christ. That's what Scripture says. So today we're going to talk about some very practical ways that we can serve one another. And I'm going to ask you uh, later on in the, pa- in, in, the, in the service, I'm going to ask you to uh, fill out some forms. But before we do that, I want to make sure that um, I cover one more thing. And that's this. This thing that we're doing together, we don't do in our own strength. This thing that we're doing together is beyond us. That's why we're misfits. We come together as misfits because we say, we can't do it on our own. We need God to come through for us. We need God to show up in our midst and to empower us. So that's what I see in this passage. Twice in this passage, the attribute that is emphasized in the servant leaders is this. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So today when we talk about servanthood, I want you to think about not what I can do in my own strength, not what we can do in our own strength, but what the Spirit can do in and through us. Here's what I know to be true because I've lived it. What I know to be true is that when I've encountered challenges in my life, and I'm not talking about, you know, Small challenges. I'm talking about when we found out we were homeless because Hurricane Katrina took away our house. Like, that kind of challenge, right? When, when Oshida was suffering from postpartum depression, you know, when we, w- we were financially broke, when we were desperate, when I faced challenges like that, my faith was resilient not because I had the right thinking about faith, not because of anything else except this. I wasn't just living for myself. I was living for the mission of God. And I could say to God on those occasions, God, I'm here because you sent me here. I'm in this church. I'm in this city. I'm doing this job. Whatever I'm doing, I'm doing this because of you. So if you want this to work, you got to make it work. I could say that to God because My whole life was like this, God, I'll go where you want to go, I'll do what you want me to do, but you got to show up, because I'm going to put myself out there, and if you don't show up, I'm going to fail. I know my faith had resiliency, because I trusted God, and I was on a mission, co-laboring with God in God's mission. If you read the book of Acts, every time someone's filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not so they can speak in tongues and and have a good time and sing jubilantly. It wasn't for themselves. It was so they could further the mission of God. That's why people get filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's because God wants to use us to change the world. That's why we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is the beautiful thing about and the powerful thing about serving is that when you serve, when you surrender your life in that way, you know I'm exactly who I'm meant to be. I'm meant to be this person giving my whole self to God. I know I'm, I'm doing exactly what I'm meant to do. I know I'm ex- going exactly where I'm meant to go. There have been times in my life where I've been, I've, I've felt this overwhelming sense of being cared for by God, and it's always been in the midst of me caring for someone else. When I put someone else's needs before my own, when I'm thinking about their best interest more than my best interest, I'm taken care of by God. This is what, the, this is what the, uh, the proverb meant when it said, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I felt absolutely carried along by God at stretches in my life. Stretches of my life, I felt like God was carrying me along. And it's because I didn't care about anything but doing what God wanted me to do. Helping someone else, furthering the mission of God. I love this quote. I want to read you this quote by Dr. Kristen Beasley and Jody Carlson. Listen to this. This is a good quote. A life of loving and serving God and others is a maximized life, a fulfilled life. Yes, you are called to a life of service. This is what you were made for. What's more, You are not expected to draw upon your own strength to meet this calling. You are not left to pursue this life of servanthood on your own. That's why you have the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in your favor. Embrace it with gusto. It will propel you forward in ministry, wider in your reach for the kingdom and deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. That's a good word. I have found that to be true. This is what Jesus meant when he said, the greatest among you will become like a person of lower status and the leader like a servant. It's because when we humble ourselves, put ourselves in the the back seat and put God in the driver's seat, God elevates us. God is the one who says, no, I'm going to put you out in front. This is what 1 John meant When 1 John says, if anyone says they love God but hates their brother or sister, they're a liar. Because the person who doesn't love their brother or sister, who who they can see, can't love God who they can't see. See, this is our constant temptation. Our constant temptation is to say, oh, I love God. I just can't stand people. It is. It's our constant temptation because people are right in front of you with all their problems and all their flaws. But we can imagine a perfect God that we just love. Oh, God's perfect. But God is saying, see this person right in front of you? They bear my image. Do you love them? If the God of our imagination is a little too perfect, I think it's an idol. It's an idol that we created so that we didn't have to love other people. So that we have to deal with other people's challenges. People are challenging. It's true, right? Right? So this week, I want us to get concrete about this serving thing and the way that we love one another and the way that we love our neighbors. So each one of you received a handout. On one side of the handout is a sign-up for serve teams. And on the other side is a sign-up for the kids' camp. The best way for us to serve is if we don't all serve at the same time. Amen? If we all serve... At the same time, all the time, we're all going to hit a wall and give up. So the best way for us to serve is to serve in shifts, in rotation, so that we have a rhythm of rest and service, rest and service. So that's why there are shifts on both sides. You could, do, you could sign up for first and third Sundays, second and fourth Sundays, or once a month, and we'll work you in. Uh, on the kids' camp, it's ten to two. You can sign up for a two-hour shift on either day or both days, and that's it. Just serve your two hours, and you're done. It's best if we have a rhythm of rest and service, rest and service, so that everyone's not serving all the time. Let me let me be really clear here, okay? I'm gonna get real for a moment. I am really humbled, and I'm really honored that you that you guys. Uh, called me to be your pastor. Uh, This is what what I've been made to do. This is what I'm born to do. And I love it. I love every challenge. I tell my wife all the time, you don't often get to choose your challenges in life. If I get to choose my challenges, these are the challenges I choose. I love this job. And I'm working hard. But you have to know something. I can't do everything on my own. Did you know that? (laughs) I hope you knew that. I can't do everything on my own. And I'm not supposed to. My job is supposed to be to equip you. That's literally what the scriptures tell me to do. They tell me to equip you. So that's what I'm trying to do today. I'm trying to say, guys, we have to be a, a team. We have to be on the same page. And we have to do things together. Giving each other rest. Giving each other times of service giving each other a break. Also, I cast a vision for an Easter launch initiative, a two-day camp um, geared towards kids in Frogtown. Um, this is this is the kind of thing that we don't do every day. This is not the kind of thing we're going to do three times this year, okay? This is kind of a one-time thing. I mean, until we do it, if we, if we do it again, right, next year. But the point is, this is like an all-hands-on-deck type of thing. This is the kind of thing where... If you can be there, unless you're sick, or unless you're on vacation or something like that, or like everybody should try to sign up for a shift. Because this is our, this is, this is a, an initiative that we're gonna try out to, to, uh, to show our values, to build community, and to gain momentum. Remember those three words? Values, um, community, and momentum. And finally, there's the final application of this message. We are going to nominate today new leaders for the, leader, the leadership team of this church.